I want to do a talk today, which is a Christmas talk. It's about Mary, but I really believe that it's a significant talk. It's the kind of talk where it sums up, for me, what Christianity is all about. And if I was to try and put this to you, um, I, I would really say if you just got a grip of this, it would change your whole life, and it's really the essence the, the kernel, the very important bit about Christianity. And I've said it many times in many other sermons and many other ways, but I wanted to just use Mary's story today to try and give it to you again in a different way. And if you hadn't got it before, hopefully just putting it in a slightly different context will help you to understand this truth today. Um, <clears throat> we know the story of Mary. It's an amazing story. There's this little teenage girl. She's a nobody, really. She's got no background. There's nothing important about her or her family, no wealth. They live in a tiny little town. And um, what you may not understand or, or realize is just the context in which they lived. Israel had been invaded by the Romans about 60 years earlier. 63 BC, the Romans invaded Israel, and they took it over. They occupied the place. They became the rulers. They subjugated the people. They put heavy taxes on the people. They stopped them from worshipping in the way that they normally worshipped. They even said that Caesar was God, which for a Jew was a terrible thing to say. It was absolute blasphemy. And so the Jews were suffering under Roman occupation for about 60 years, and they were really having a hard time of it. They felt uh, just the injustice of it all. They really wanted to rise up and rebel and overthrow the Romans. And there were many promises in the Old Testament about how God was going to send a Messiah who was going to be a king like David who would overthrow all of the enemies of his people and enable them to reign and rule on the earth and be righteous and live rightly and worship God. And they were waiting for this Messiah to come. And they thought he was going to be an earthly king who was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And many, many times, Jewish people rose up against the Romans and tried to revolt against the Romans. And so there were um, many, many revolutions which were pressed, uh, uh, crushed by the Romans, and the people were killed. And this was just the context that the people lived in. And in fact, there was a, a band, there were two groups of, of Jewish people, almost like... Um, yeah, movements. One was called the Zealots, who were really against the Romans, and they tried to overthrow the Romans every chance they get. And then there were the Sicarii, who were even worse. They used to carry around daggers with them, which were called Sicarii, these thin knives. And every chance they got, even in the middle of a street, they would stab a Roman. And they would even stab Jewish people if they thought they were collaborating with the Romans. So there was this whole mood going around where the Jews were trying to be free from the oppression of Rome. And they felt it. Every day they felt it. Every, every Jewish man and woman and child knew they were under slavery, under subjugation. A bit like the occupation by the Nazis in the Second World War. It was like that, but it went on and on and on, and it was much worse. And the taxation was extreme, and people's lives were very, very hard. Now, in the middle of this, an angel appears to a tiny teenage girl 
who is not a soldier, she's not a politician, she's not a revolutionary, she's nothing special, she's just a little girl. You know what teenage girls are like? They're, they're, their minds are elsewhere. <laughs> they, you know, they, they put posters of things on their walls and they're dreaming of ballet and ponies. I don't know exactly what's going on, but they're not revolutionaries. And an angel appears to this little girl and says, You are going to be the one who brings forth Messiah. The one who's going to deliver his people. Amazing. But then he goes even further. He says, he intimates to her and she picks it up. She gets an inkling that actually it's more than just overthrowing the Romans. It's overthrowing the devil who's been oppressing not just the Jews, but the whole human race and keeping them in slavery and exacting harsh taxes out of them and causing them to sin and then making them pay for their sin. The devil is the worst oppressor. And this Messiah was actually going to set people free from the devil. The Romans would come later. That's of secondary importance. The main thing is that you get set free from sin and the penalty of sin and eternal hell apart from God. And Messiah was going to come out of this little girl. That's the context. That's the amazing thing about this. And the message that I want us to really understand today is that many clever men and women, many powerful men and women, many rich men and women had tried to overthrow the oppression that was on the Jews. But it took a seed, God's word and the Holy Spirit coming on little Mary to achieve it. And it's a significant point. It's, it's a very important thing for us to understand. You know, all the great men and women who've ever lived and done great things, they, they've used their intellect, their power, their might, their personality, their influence, their whatever, to you know, invade countries and do great or horrible things. All those people have not influenced planet Earth as much as Mary and the child she, she bore. Because when God does something by implanting the seed of his word in a human being with the anointing of his spirit and it grows within that person and then it's given birth. When God does that, even if it's a tiny little insignificant person, the effects are everlasting and enormous and more important than anything we could ever do in our own strength. Why is that important? For you and for me. Because every day we have to make a choice. Am I going to try to do life using my own skills, my own intellect, my own power, my own ability? Or am I going to be like Mary and allow God to put His Word, His seed in me, by His Holy Spirit, allow it to grow in me, and then give birth to something that God is doing in the earth, which am I going to choose? Am I going to choose my own fleshly ability? Or am I going to choose what God is doing and what God wants to do? You see, if I choose my own fleshly ability, there's a lot that I can achieve. Human beings are awesome. There's a, there's a, a YouTube channel called Humans Are Awesome or People Are Awesome or something. And it shows all the great things people can do. They can skateboard off mountains and they can 
paraglide using just a parachute type gliding machine and they can fly across the earth and they can do amazing things. They can build companies and empires and and countries and change policies in the world. But all of those things, the Bible says, will come to nothing. There will be a day when everything we know is just, it's just destroyed by fire just in an instant. And it's only the things that God has birthed that will last forever. My friend, you could devote your life to building a wonderful family in your own strength. But unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. You could devote your whole strength and energy to becoming an intellectual giant. But unless God does something through you, it'll all be lost. It'll be in vain. Whatever you build in your life, unless it's from God, unless God has birthed and given life to something in you by His Word and His Spirit, and then it comes out, unless it's from God, it will be destroyed by fire and it will be in vain. We have the choice every day, and now at the end of a year, to realign our lives and say, God, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) What am I doing? Am I trying in my own strength to do a whole lot of things? Or have you put something in me by your word and your spirit? And am I growing it and giving birth to it? That's my message today. Very simple in a nutshell. But I just want to unpack it for you a little bit. So we're reading this verse from Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. And this is Paul, the apostle, speaking to the Galatian church. And he loves his people. And he says to them, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. What a strange verse. Paul the Apostle, writing to a church just like us. And he writes to me, he says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth. So it's just like Mary Being pregnant and the baby growing inside her. And then she goes through the pain and the effort of childbirth. Paul says, I'm laboring in that kind of childbirth for you, my lovely Galatian Christians, again. In other words, he's done it once before. But he's doing it again for them. He's laboring in this process of growing a baby and giving birth to it. He says, so that Christ would be formed in you. In other words, so that this whole process of a baby growing and being formed in you, that Christ would be formed in you, that you would be pregnant, if you like. Can you see how there's three layers of this truth in this one verse? Paul says, I labored and gave birth once when you got saved. I'm laboring in birth again for you now that you would become mature as Christians. And I want you to labor and give birth to Christ being formed in you. Wow. So this whole idea of receiving a word and it growing in us and we being pregnant with it and we giving birth to it is very crucial, not just to Mary, but to our whole Christian lives. Weird, eh? You never thought of yourself as a pregnant person if you're a male. I never did. And then when I read these verses, I thought, oh boy, I better find out a little bit about what's involved in being pregnant. And then I watched my wife three times. She was pregnant. Man, it starts off and the doctor tells you you're pregnant, but 
for me as a husband, I couldn't tell she was pregnant. I mean, she looked the same, she acted the same, she was a little bit nauseous, and there was a, a few episodes of vomiting. Some were a bit embarrassing. We were... <laughs> Shall I tell them the story? Do you mind, huh? <laughs> we were in little air, aircraft. Some people decided to take us up in their little private airplane. And it was me and Bronwyn and her brother sitting in the back of this tiny little airplane. And suddenly Bronnie starts hurling. Just... Bleh! And all of us started hurling because in a small little airplane, you just can't help it. The smell and the sound and oh. And then we were in a bus in London. And she says, oh, I'm going to have to be sick. And we looked and all the windows were sealed. There was no way to open any windows or anything. And then we looked for little bags you could you vomit in. And there was just nothing. So Bronnie's handbag became... <laughs> Became the vomiting bag. And all, you know what a lady's handbag is? There's little bits of everything and change and pens and keys and paper. It just got full of vomit. I'm sorry to be so, so graphic. But then the sign started showing and the tummy started showing a lump. And, and we went to the doctor and he put a little sound machine on and we could hear the heartbeat. Wow, this is real. There's a real human being in there. But all this time, Bronnie knows there's something going on. But the rest of the world, they can see a sign, but they're not really sure. And then it gets closer and closer, bigger and bigger. And then eventually on the night, yep, we got to go into hospital. She was amazing, Mawa. She didn't make a sound. She was in extreme pain. I could tell because her whole body was shaking. Um, throughout, it's, we went into the hospital about 10 at night, maybe, 9, and the baby was only born the next morning at about 6, um, for both the two boys, and for that whole time, she never uttered a sound. She just lay there in bed in extreme pain. The contractions were extreme, and I, I've been told that the pain is enormous. It, it's really a very, very I intense pain. But she didn't make a sound. And so I'm sitting there, and it's like 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, 3 in the morning. Are you okay? Is there anything I can do? Just nothing. And I have to admit, I nodded off. And at about 3 in the morning, I'm, I'm sleeping there next to somebody, I can't remember, a nurse or somebody. Are you asleep? Your wife is in labor. Your wife is giving birth. How could you be asleep? I woke up. It was terrible. But... Amazingly enough, she just endured it in silence. The time came for the baby to be born, and she I know she was in intense pain, but she just oh, just went through it, and the baby was born. It was a, it was a difficult process. Um, there, was, there was a bit of an emergency, and the doctor had to come and get some equipment, and it was, it was quite a big deal. And it wasn't all easy and smooth and you know smiling, happy songs and, and little birds tweeting. It, it was difficult and stressful, but then the baby's born. Wonderful. Joy. Relief. It's happened. And then we give, we start to grow the child and, and bring it up and feed it and look after it. That is the process that Paul says we go through. We must go through. He was going through. He had been through. The Galatians should go through. We should go through that process 
exactly the same as Mary, in Luke chapter 1, it says, Mary says to the angel, how's this going to happen? How am I going to give birth to the Savior, the Messiah? And the angel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is Luke chapter 1 verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then we know from John chapter 1, it says that the Word became flesh. The Word. So God spoke a Word. His Word became a human seed. The Word became flesh and was implanted in her womb. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And then over time, she allowed that baby. She did whatever she had to do. She ate correctly. She, when, when she had a craving for whatever weird food it was, she ate that. She did all the right things that she had to do. She looked after the baby in her womb. And then labor came and she had to struggle and stress and try. And there was pain and there was... Um, also, external hardship because she was in a, in a stable instead of in a proper place to give birth. And it was difficult. But then the baby was born. Paul says, that needs to happen in you and in me. Listen to a couple of other verses. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, You are born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Seed. That's, that's talking about that little cell that gets implanted in a womb. It says you are born again of incorruptible seed by the word of God. When you got saved, a word, God's word and his spirit, just like with Mary, his spirit and his word came and was implanted in you and it grew and you got saved. What about this verse? I love this one. James 1 verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He's talking to Christians, James here. And he says to them, you're already saved. You've already had the word implanted in you that got you saved. But now... Receive with meekness. He's talking to Christians. They're already saved. But he says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Very important. Their spirit got saved. <laughs> when they were born again, the word of God went in and they got born again. But he says now to them, your soul needs to be saved. Just because your spirit is saved doesn't mean you think right, you feel right, you act right. You've still got all these weird thought patterns and actions and habits and emotions. You've still got all the baggage from your past. How do I save my soul? He says, receive the implanted word of God. Receive it again and let it gestate inside you. Let the Holy Spirit be on you and let it grow in you over the full period that it takes to grow. And then give birth. To something that's of God. Can I just say that if I'd known this truth 20 years ago, my Christian life would be a lot easier. 
would have been a lot easier. There are many times that I've tried to do things in my own flesh. There are many times I've tried in my own strength to change situations, to even do things for God, to, to do ministry, to, to try and influence people, to try and change things using my own ability. And what I really needed to do was I needed to find a word from the Lord. I needed to find the word that's the seed. I needed to receive it. I needed to let the Holy Spirit overshadow me. And I needed to really let the word be implanted in me. Not my own ideas. Not my own cleverness. Not somebody else's clever idea from a church somewhere else or a book they've written. God's word needs to get in your heart. Not my words. Not James's words. God's word needs to get in your heart. And then you need to allow the Holy Spirit to overshadow you and give birth to that word. You know, we can read the Bible without the Holy Spirit's anointing and it's just dead words. But when the Holy Spirit makes it alive in your heart, then it gives birth. Wow, I wonder if anyone's really getting this today. It's so important. It's so important. You can go through your whole Christian life with your spirit being saved, but your soul unsaved because you haven't allowed the word and the spirit to do what it needs to do. You've used your own flesh and your own strength to try and do things. But if we allow God's word to do it, everything changes. Everything changes. It's this that will change our lives. You know, when we're in church, the the best blessing of church is the Holy Spirit is here and the Word is here and the opportunity is so ripe for God to implant seeds into our heart. He can do it when we're alone, but church is such a special time when we're worshiping. You know, the words of the songs are often scriptures. God will put those in your heart. Or he'll put another verse, or another word from his, from his word in your heart. Or in the preaching he'll put it. Or, or somebody will say it. And the Spirit's here and the Word's here and something gives birth. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Jesus said, the sower throws out the word. Sometimes it just lands on hard soil and the devil just takes it away. And I know that that's true. Sometimes in church... The devil just takes a word away and you forget it. He said, other, other seed lands on shallow soil and it grows up quickly. Yay, we love Jesus. Yes, we accept this. But as soon as there's hardship, as soon as we're into the third, fourth, fifth month of pregnancy, oh, I don't like this anymore. It's not all fun anymore. And that dies. He said, sometimes the word grows up, but there's something else growing up with it. Weeds, which are the worries and the pleasures and the and the. The, the thoughts of this life and riches in this world. He says that grows up with the word and it chokes it. But the good soil, the seed gets implanted and it's watered by the Holy Spirit and it grows and produces great crops, fruitfulness, 30, 60, 100 fold what was planted. That can happen in your life every single time you hear the word of God, especially in church where the Holy Spirit's anointing is here. Exciting. Wonderful. So, let me just, I I could talk about this for a long time, but I'm going to just bring it to a close. What we need to do, 
We need to say, Holy Spirit, anoint me and anoint your word. We need to read God's word and we need to get it in our hearts, especially as promises. And when a promise is in there, then we need to allow it to gestate over time because sometimes it takes a long time. I was, uh, I've had many, many promises, but one of them the Lord gave me when I was at Bible school and somebody, there was a prophet there and he said, it's going to take 21 years to come true. And I'm still waiting. We're almost there now. But there's many promises that have taken many, many years to gestate in me. Where God has put a word in me. And he's anointed it with his Holy Spirit. And then I just need to stay in prayer and faith and thanking God for it while it grows in me. And nobody else can see it. It's just in me. Sometimes it's a short time. I remember praying one prayer. Um, and, and within a week, it was answered. It was a miraculous answer for some uh, financial provision. It just it grew and it was born quickly. Other times, it takes years and years. And you just got to stay in faith. You've got to say, I'm still thanking you for this, Lord. I'm still hanging in there, Lord. I'm believing you, Lord, for this. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you that I am pregnant, even though nobody else can see it. And then the time comes to give birth. And we've got to cooperate with God and with what's happening. And we've got to pray and we've got to... Paul says, I labor in the pains of childbirth. There's, there's some effort, there's some stress, there's some tension involved in giving birth. For Mary and Joseph, there was no place in the inn. And they struggled and, and it was hard. It wasn't all easy. For you, when God has put something in you, there's going to be some hardship to overcome. Paul says at the end of uh, Corinthians, he says, A great and effectual door of ministry is open to me, and there is much opposition. Whenever God does something and he, he wants us to give birth to it, there's always stress and opposition. It's, it's not easy, but we know it's God. And we've been working and, and praising Him and praying into it for, for all the time that it's been gestating in us. And then we give birth to it. And then the world sees it. And then it has a major effect on the world around us and in our own lives. It applies to the salvation of our souls. It applies to ministry. It applies to helping other people in ministry. Every single thing that we are going to do in our lives, if it's not done in this way, it will be burned up and it will be useless at the end of time. But if we get a word from the Lord, we allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life into it. We pray into it. We thank God for it. We give birth to it. It's eternal. And it will last forever.